Hello and welcome to the Surgical Spirit Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Haider Al-Hakim, the Third Eye Doctor. Pull up a chair and get ready for some candid and uncompromising discussion with experts, innovators, agitators, and influential people from every corner of health and well-being. From inside the hospital to at home in the kitchen, we're leaving no stone unturned in our quest to uncover the secrets of healthier, happier, more successful, and less stressful lives. Thank you so much for joining us, and without further ado, let's meet this episode's guest. Hello, Kevin. How are you? Hi, hi. I'm good. Good. Looking forward to this conversation with you. Well, yes, so am I. Conversations are, are really interesting, particularly with interesting people, and you're interesting. I mean, what the hell is an occupational health psychologist? I think we're uh, we're psychologists who try to do everything and anything, and hopefully we end up doing something. <laughs> but essentially, what what we are interested in is looking at workplace health. Mm. Um, and the reason why I kind of ended up in this area is I actually wanted to become a clinical psychologist, as most undergraduate psychology students want to be. Um, but then I did a placement with a mental health charity, which was very interesting, was eye opening. Um, and then I realized that actually I didn't want to do this because a lot of individuals at this point in time were already struggling with mental health issues. But the reality is if we can catch these factors, so we say earlier on upstream, that you know we can help people before they get into that position. And in occupational psychology, basically it's saying that we spend so much of our time in and around work mm. that if we can make workplaces healthier, and maybe dare I even say happier mm. for individuals, mm. that actually that's beneficial for the individual. It's beneficial for the organization and, and arguably beneficial for society. So it's almost a public health issue, I mm. think. Mm. Mm. And, and and when you say that you worked with this um, mental health charity, what what was it that sort of opened your eyes? Well, it was realizing that and actually, one of the things which which I struggle with, uh, and maybe why I've, I've come back to to do a lot of work and research around around doctors or, or burnout, is that a lot of the individuals, patients in this setting, were talking to me, going, "Gosh, you you sit down, you talk to me, and you treat me like an individual," mm. which mm. is something which I don't really get in when I speak to my psychiatrist or to my social worker, my support worker, and and so forth. And I always found that quite worrying because I always thought that as a helping profession, whatever your background is, that that's what you should be doing. You should be treating individuals as individuals. But being in that environment for a few months, you know, I got to see that it was very emotionally draining to be invested in individuals. And I kind of saw myself further down the line that if I did carry on this route, do my clinical training, become a clinical psychologist, that eventually one of two things will happen. Either I'll burn out and then leave, which is again quite common, um, or then you carry on and then you treat it as a job and each patient is a case that you go through going da 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 da, talk to me, da da da, here's your medication, see you in two weeks, see you in three weeks. I've got ten minutes with you and then we move on to the next case. So I kind of didn't want to be in that environment anymore. Um, and it was definitely, like I said, eye-opening, it was interesting, but I felt that I had a lot more to give in a different area of psychology. Yeah, I mean, psychology is, is a massive field. And um, it's a study. I mean, for me, psychology means a study of the soul, study mm. of the insides, which is kind of infinite, really. You know, it sort of goes on forever, I guess. 
Yeah, I think I think it's quite broad. You can make it whatever you want it to be, and then that's why when you talk about psychology, there's so many different strands and different streams mm. to people's interests, people's research areas, what what they practice in. Um, so yeah, so occupational health psychology is a little bubble that we have of practitioners and academics that sit within it, and ultimately try and make workplaces, like I said, healthier for for individuals and for society. And 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 where's the best sort of work environment you've 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 worked in, and why? Oh, that's a that's a very interesting question. I think uh, I wouldn't say I think the the idea of a perfect workplace is almost I mean not a perfect but something that really say yeah this is this is a really good work environment I'm happy I'm actually happy in this work environment and what well, was it that made you happy I think oh, I'm gonna be careful now with what I say because I'm gonna say actually I quite enjoy my current work environment you don't have to mention names you don't have to make sure my boss doesn't hear this um, so I actually I think currently my work environment is is pretty good and and that is for a number of reasons um, and is I think first and foremost I enjoy the content of the work that I do so I'm, I'm situated in a university um, I do teaching and I work with a lot of really great students who are very very clued on very interested very passionate about the topics they're very critical they ask me a lot of questions they keep me on my toes and and from that point of view um, you know I'm, I'm fascinated by that it gives me a lot of freedom mm to explore things which I want to do. So I haven't got a sort of a fixed nine to five jobs where I sit in office all day. I mean, I'm sitting at home right now doing this podcast with you. Mm. Um, and, and I've got the freedom to do that. I've got the flexibility to pursue research projects, which I'm interested in, as long as they're by and large fit in my, my job scope and areas. It allows me to meet lots of different interesting people. I, as an, sort of an applied psychologist, so even though I'm based in a university, do we, we do research, we talk about theory, but it's about translating that into practice mm. uh, and, and trying to help organizations, even policymakers, create healthier work environments, a healthier country, ultimately as well. Um, and all of that kind of comes into play and intersects within it. And also I've got some really good colleagues, I've got you know, my manager, she's pretty good as well. So I can't really complain about much. I'm sure, well, actually I can probably complain and I, mm -hmm. uh, I'm not going to complain on this podcast. But, but what I'm trying to say is that I think the, the basic foundations is there. And I think it's things like meaning, it's things like purpose, it's mm. things like having good support systems, good having control, mm. having autonomy, freedom. And these are actually things that even within the research literature, we see that we should be generally encouraging organizations to work that way and, and empowering individuals to have you know, as many of these as possible if they want it. Mm, I mean it's quite interesting you, you know you, you mentioned all these words flexibility, challenge, um, uh, you talked about autonomy, you talked about support system, I mean these are all kind of words that we've come across many many times but when it, when it actually happens on the ground for employees it is so so powerful and so so empowering. And you know, us as leaders may take it for granted, but really, these are really we call them simple. I mean, they are hard to implement, but when it's the, when it's there on the ground, it is very, very wonderful for people to go through, and you know, for them to call it it's their work rather than something else. Yeah, but I you know, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head. It's it's really simple, and sometimes I do feel that when I'm talking to organisations or talking to to practitioners, individuals, that what I'm talking about is common sense. Yeah. Yeah, 
Oh, it's, it's things that we all want, um, and even the things that we we say. You know, what people say, what should you do? And one of the first things is you should listen to your employees because mm. they often have have the answers that you're looking for. Yeah. And I think sometimes we over-engineer solutions. Mm. Um, we've got a problem, and therefore we buy the most expensive consultant or solution program systems in place to try and fix it. When the example or when the solution is something quite quite straightforward. Mm. Mm. And often I think it's just a case of sitting down and listening, and I mean generally listening. Mm. As organizations, we're, we're quite guilty of going out and having an employee staff survey, an engagement survey, or, or some sort of feedback forum. But if, you know, we're all, as workers, we're very clued up. We know that is this a, if this is a genuine initiative or not, am I actually going to be heard? And if people feel they're not going to be heard, then the whole process is going to backfire because people are thinking, well, you're wasting my time. This yeah. is just for show, and then I'm not going to buy into this. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, and, and, and it's so cost-effective. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's going to save hundreds and thousands or millions of pounds, and um, it's just so powerful, you know, the, the process of listening and just the process of, of, of listening to some other human being. There's something magical about that. Um, greater than than the written word, I think for me anyway. Um, just listening to that human voice, and the people on the ground just just know what's going on. You know, yeah. you, you know, you sitting in your office or in some other meeting and and what have you. You know, unless you hear it from the employee, you, you wouldn't believe it. Yeah, you know what I mean. Definitely, definitely, and and like you said, you know, the whole thing of of sometimes people say, oh, what do I do? Should I put this process in place? Should I fix this? And and like I said, just listen. And the act of listening in itself is, I'll say, part of therapy. That can be part of the intervention in itself. Mm. Because even if you come back and say, I've listened, I understand where you're coming from, but it's just not feasible for us to, mm. I don't know, appoint another three or four members of staff because it's just not pos possible. Mm. But it's the way you say it and if you generally mean it and explain the position that you're coming from, mm. maybe it's trying to find some sort of compromise. Right, we can't appoint three new members of staff, but maybe there's something different that we can do. Mm. Mm. And it's changing the process or, or changing something else, uh, putting something else in place that can alleviate what the underlying issue is. Mm. And you try and meet people. And if people feel that actually my manager, my leaders, they care about me, they understand me, mm. then they are more likely to say, okay, it's not going to work in this situation, but... At there least I'll be listened to, and at least yeah, there you know, there's that bond. To do yeah. Something. Yeah, 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 definitely. And, 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 and maybe sort of, uh, you know, with the current mental health of doctors at the moment, I don't think doctors are sort of listened to enough by their managers and their leaders. Um... And that's probably one of the biggest causes for for doctor burnout. What's, yeah, yeah. What's your experience of that? I think, you know, by by and large, both within the med, um, research with the medical workforce and outside the medical workforce, you know, social support uh, in in the work environment is is important for mm. for mental health. For, mm. for many ways, it helps us do our job. It gives us that sense of belonging, the emotional support that we need, and arguably in environments which are naturally inherently very emotionally draining. Mm. I mean, as a medic, you know, we, we talk about trauma, you talk about death, dealing with the extremes of, of human suffering and experience, you know, those are very difficult situations. Mm. So you do need that support. And I think there is a, a trend, 
and as a clinician you would notice firsthand, and correct me if I'm wrong, that, that you're working a lot less in teams, you have a lot mm. less people around you, everything is in a sense target driven, it's mm. process driven, that, that human element has been has been taken out to an mm. extent. Mm. Um, and, and what's quite ironic, and this is as an outsider looking in, and, and I always actually need to make this very clear up front, I, I don't work in the NHS, I'm mm. not a medic by background, so everything I say is an, as an outsider looking in, is there is a lot of focus now on patient-centered care mm. and, and the human experience, and I'm all for that, and that's brilliant. I think sometimes there's a danger, though, that if we're not careful, that that's going to come at the expense of the well-being of the medical workforce. Mm. Mm. And um, it's kind of, you know, you're saying that we're putting the person in, in this context, in this box, the patient, but we're forgetting about the person that is the medical workforce, whether that's a doctor, a nurse, a porter, or, or, mm. or a receptionist. Mm. Um, and these are things that we forget. That's powerful. That's powerful, Kevin. And you're absolutely right. Um, the shift was towards the well-being of the doctor, and now it's shifted to the patient at the detriment of the doctor and um yeah that's really powerful yeah and um, and, and the thing is you know i would i would say it doesn't have to be both yeah sorry well it should be both it doesn't have to be either or yes yes and, and even if you look at sort of some of the research that we've done within the nhs looking at what are the factors that, that predict good patient outcomes what are the factors that lead to healthier um, a medical workforce, it's essentially good working conditions. Mm. And I think sometimes we focus too much on one or the other mm. and, and realize that when we talk about the context of the system, it's the same thing. It's about having a good, healthy working environment. And if you have that, that benefits the medical workforce and that also benefits the patient as well. And it's those same things that we talked about before, um, understanding, communication, cooperation, flexibility, um uh being heard yeah uh, being challenged you know you know talk about workload intensity yeah. that sorts of stuff yeah yeah um i mean certainly. yeah yeah i mean what are the sort of good practices or, or, or sort of good things of good uh working environments in in a healthcare setting what would be sort of the three or the four biggest um positives and uh things for that I think it's having um, it's having a line manager or, or a team leader or a section leader, depending on what your work pattern is like. You know, someone who is who is definitely clued up and interested in how well the team is doing. And I'm not I don't mean performance-wise, but actually how they're doing as as individuals. Mm. And it's being able to ask the right questions, recognizing when they're struggling, recognizing how to be able to get extra support mm. whether it's within the team or external as well to be able to defend and protect that as well mm. and i think sometimes if you have a difficult work environment but you have someone who you know someone who you can trust mm. someone who look out for you that makes a very big difference and and similarly along that line is having good teams mm. and i think the building of good teams is is very important and, and i would argue particularly somewhere in in the healthcare environment, the nature mm. of the work that's being done, having team-based working is is, there, is such a crucial resource, essentially. Mm. Mm. Uh, and then the other thing, which I think is not being done very well, and is I think also difficult from an organization point of view, is managing 
a healthy work-life balance. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the difficult thing because obviously in the healthcare setting, it's, you can't necessarily switch off the nature of the work that you do. Yeah, you need to go into a bigger context, don't you? You know, so yeah. as a as a work colleague, you do need to open up and talk about all these other things that are affecting you outside work as well as in work. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're, you're you're talking about the physical, psychological, and the spiritual aspect of that individual, which does take a lot of effort and a lot of time, mm-hmm. and, and a lot of vulnerability for that person to open up and talk about these things. Definitely. Yeah, and and um, the third thing, but you know these takes you know the, the, these things take a lot of time and effort and resources. Yeah, no, that and you know the question good. is you know um, do we have these resources and do we have this time? And ultimately, the answer is yes, you do. <laughs> it just needs it just needs that awareness and that sort of you've got to accept that this is what's needed for it to yeah. move forward because otherwise, people will just keep falling by the wayside and just burning out and running out of yeah. gas and actually i'll you know, go back to the point I'll, I'll question and challenge that a little bit saying that you know it's quite difficult yes it's difficult but also it can be quite simple because if you are a colleague or if you are a manager it is about starting simple yeah and it may be a case of do you know what before you start your shift get your team together ask how they're doing brief yeah. them for the day yeah. and it's surprising by how many departments or teams don't even do that yeah or a general question where you say you know how are you doing and finding the time to have that conversation, yeah. have a cup of tea with someone, um, be interested in them. Yeah. And that's building that little connections that, that people have. And just as a, as a sort of flag up a resource, the health and safety executive, they've built a whole pool of resources around what they call the management standards, which are about healthy workplaces. And within it, there is a, a manager toolkit. And mm. it, it is a checklist. So... <laughs> flag it up, it's a checklist and it's a list of behaviors which are supposed to be um, facilitative of a healthy work environment. Mm. So yeah. I'm not saying that you have to do all those behaviors, but if you're a manager, it's worth looking through that checklist and going, am I doing this? Am I not doing this? Mm. Why am I doing this? Could I be doing this? Will this fit in my work environment? And these are perhaps little things that you could do as a colleague or as a manager, which might help the work environment and the environment of your colleagues without necessarily investing resources. Mm-hmm. It's, it's it's increasing that that awareness, isn't it? As, as yes. managers and, and leaders, that you are in this position of responsibility, and yeah, it, it just it, you know you owe it to your um, employees that you you do take that extra extra effort. Uh, yeah, and you know it will pay with dividends at the end of definitely, the day. definitely. And you you are completely right in terms of awareness. Everything at this point, I think, is is really about awareness because it's surprising by how little understanding um, individuals in, in key positions often have mm. um, and even when you talk so when we talk about we know often what the problems are high staff turnover poor patient care poor morale or poor well-being mm. um, but then in looking for the solutions we try and we find a solution mm. and then we apply it without actually understand, understanding what the main or underlying issue is mm. so we have very little we don't understand the bigger picture and often it's we find an answer and then, then we think all right I've got this answer I've got this solution will this fit this problem that I have I'm going to try and make it fit this problem that I have um, so just you know, if we say about workplace well-being 
we talk about different types of interventions. You can focus on the individual, mm. you can focus on, on rehabilitative processes, um, but often what we actually find is what we call primary interventions. So interventions which address the underlying issue mm. tend to be, well, they are the more difficult ones to do, but they are the more effective ones because they address the root cause. And I think there is a danger, not just in the NHS, but across all workplaces, that when we talk about workplace well-being, we focus much more on what we call secondary and tertiary interventions, mm. helping the individual or helping individuals who are struggling. Mm. So these are things like, you see, um, you know, mindfulness training being very topical, CBT training being very popular, resilience training. And I'm not saying these don't work and they haven't got a role to play. You know, they are certainly important, but they don't really address the underlying issue. Because if you have a workforce that's struggling and you're saying, right, let's send them all on resilience training, then you're not actually asking why are they in a position where they need resilience training to begin with. Mm-hmm. And, you know, these are uh, quite difficult to accept being a leader, knowing that the underlying problem is you and not the workers. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, yeah. That, that, that could I mean, be. that's what it boils down to, you know. Yeah. At the end of the day, you are the problem and not the workers. And there's something in you that you're not delivering that's translating into a poor working environment. Mm. But then you, yeah, I'll I'll say that, you know, that's that's definitely, definitely true. Um, But when you say primary cause, uh, you know, what do you mean by that? So whatever, these are things that are things that we, we spoke about earlier on, you know, mm. high workload, mm. not being able to cope with demands, mm. not having support, not mm. having right resources, mm. those mm. sorts of stuff, mm. having inefficient processes. Mm. So if you can kind of address the, the underlying issues and yeah. correct them, yeah. then, you know, you are helping people before they get into that stage. Yeah. So, so I talk about primary, secondary, tertiary type interventions, yeah. and the analogy I use is, is sort of the fire service and how they deal with fires. Mm. A primary intervention will be putting out that fire mm. so the firefighter doesn't have to go in. A secondary intervention is helping the individual deal with that situation. Mm. So that's where you give the firefighters their their um, their equipment, their breathing apparatus, their um, uh, coats so that they don't get burned. So it's mm. helping them if they do have to go into a fire, if they do have to work in a difficult situation, that they are equipped to do so. Mm. And then tertiary interventions are about rehabilitation. So that's where if and when a firefighter gets burned, you've got a burn unit mm. that can that can heal them, put them in a in a, restore them to a position that they can go back into work. But really the cause of all the problems here is the fire. So you have to put that fire out before you you know, focus on giving them the right equipment and, and having burn units. Yeah. And too often if we if we talk about return to work programs and and counseling programs and that sort of stuff. And again, they, they are important, but if you've got someone who's going off sick and you're sending off, taking them away from work, putting them in therapy for three months, six months, however long that is, and, and they're in a healthy position, but you're putting them back into that same toxic work environment, mm, mm. you're just going to get burned again. They're just going to go off sick again. You've not actually addressed the underlying issue. Like you said, it might be the having poor leaders, it might be having workload which is just unsustainable. It might be bullying in a workplace. It might be not having the right resources. Mm. But these sort of more basic factors, often we just accept as the way it is. Mm. And sometimes we can do things that help a little bit. Maybe not get rid of them completely, but help us deal with them a little bit better. 
So how do we deal? I mean, I know it's a difficult question, but you have a toxic environment and, you know, you love your job, but not this particular one because it's a toxic environment. Um, what do you do? I mean, what what would be the solution in that situation? I think, I think it is a difficult one because, you know, when kind of that position, you're placing the responsibility on the individual, you know, on the individual saying yeah. that, you know, you have to fix it. And as someone who works with organizations, I kind of say, well, you know, as an organization, you guys have to fix it, it shouldn't yeah. be on, yeah. on the individual. But then, of course, I recognize that, you know, you've probably got people listening in and, and people I speak to as well. And they're saying, well, my organization doesn't listen to me. So yeah. what can I do within this? And I think there's sort of, of, of two things. One is more work focused. And, and that is trying to build allies in the workplace mm. look at where where can I find support mm. maybe my line manager will support me he or mm. she's pretty good or if he or she's someone that you don't get along with then maybe there's colleagues or other networks that you can build mm. within it maybe you know you've got people from your discipline in other teams or mm. or sort of another structure maybe you want to reach out to other healthcare professionals or mm. professions that 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 might be able to help and support you um, you can craft perhaps elements of your role. You mm. know, there's things that you can change the way you do things, whether it's the meaning of it. Mm. Why am I doing this? Because I'm more interested in this, so I get more out of this, I get more purpose out of this. Maybe there's ways that you can make things more efficient and, and create sort of in your mini work environment, mm. make things a little bit better for you. Um, and then the second thing is actually looking after yourself. Yeah. And I think as individuals, um, and I think particularly in the healthcare sector, we're very bad at looking out for ourselves mm. um, and having a sense of self-compassion, mm. recognizing that you know we do deserve we do deserve things. Yeah, and that means being able to listen to ourselves, um, listen to what our body needs, our mind needs. Yeah, uh, and it may be something as simple as going, do you know what? This evening I'm going to watch a movie when I finish work because I've always wanted to watch this movie. I'm going to treat myself. Yeah. Well, I'm going to go out for a nice meal with my friend or something is like, you know, I'm going to have two or three hours extra sleep tomorrow yeah. morning. I'm going to line because I need it and I deserve it. Yeah. Um, and having being a bit selfish because you have to look after yourself. Yeah. There's the old adage of, of you know, when you fly a plane, they say put the oxygen mask on yourself before you help someone else. You have to put the oxygen mask on yourself. You have to put yourself first. Yeah. Um, yeah. And to an extent, that is kind of crafting that life outside of work as well. So whether it's family or friends as a support network, having hobbies or interests or passions outside there, being able to rest, restore, exercise, because all of these things are important for your own well-being. And well-being, you know, I, I, I prefer the term well-being to health because health suggests physical health. And I think as human beings, we're a lot more complex than that. And mm. well-being is a bit more holistic. You talk about psychological health. You talk mm. about perhaps spiritual health or, or whatever, you know, meaning and purpose. These are things which are all, all included together as well. Mm. That that That's absolutely excellent. It's um, uh, I, we, we did want to touch up on uh, uh, self-care and um, self-help. And that's something that the majority of us do neglect because of because of the work structure because of the work mindset that we have that we always giving to others and yet we don't um uh give enough to ourselves and and, and hopefully these discussions and these podcast will allow people to think about um giving themselves lots of candy self-candy yeah. 
That's true. But let me let me ask you a question because you've been asking me a question on, on, on this note. So why why do you think you know maybe self compassion is a bit more difficult in in the medical field? Yeah, I mean it's interesting because we give a lot of compassion to other people and that gives us maybe a lot of satisfaction um, mm -hmm. and a lot of uh, meaning and purpose and gratification. And sometimes giving ourselves self compassion maybe is not as gratifying because it's just you don't see the response as as quickly and you know we like uh, quick gratification <laughs> if you know what I mean whereas when you yeah. give yourself self-compassion you don't really see the effects and it takes a yeah. lot longer for you to get those re um, effects from self-compassion but what I tell people is if you give yourself self-compassion it's actually very very powerful and one of the great byproducts of self-compassion is confidence Mm -hmm. It gives you a lot of confidence if you're just good to yourself, compassionate towards yourself, and just be gentle with yourself. It does raise your confidence quite a lot, and that's that's how I encourage people to be more, you know, self-compassionate because you don't give a shit anymore. It's like, yeah, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm pretty good actually. You know, I'm yeah. fine. You know, sure. I'm I'm doing really well, and that raises your confidence, and that's a great way of realizing that actually self-compassion. It's just as great as giving compassion to other people because when we give compassion to other people we sort of love it you know because of yeah. the response that we get back from people so yeah um it goes yeah. back to well, awareness doesn't it kevin yeah you know, it does once you're aware I mean. of these things you're kind of okay if this happens to me then this happens to me and it's just realizing that you need to get out of your own mind process and mind thoughts mm. Yep. And just look look outwards, you know, rather yeah. than just keep looking into your, your head and your brain. Definitely. So it's as well taking a step back and, and I think building that awareness. And I think there is a a danger, perhaps, in society now as we move forward. We're just constantly switched in, whether that is, you know, consuming media, social mm. media, mm. Um, in terms of the work environment, work constantly being able to contact you via emails or phone calls mm. we never mm. really switch off so there isn't really space for you or us to sit down to think and to reflect you know mm. to process things what was today like mm. how did i feel we're just kind of reacting we're reacting we're to always switched on email. we're not we're not switching off the button basically it, yeah and i think that that sort of fits in that self-care as well and, and i wonder whether that's why you kind of get this revolution around mindfulness growing in, in popularity and you know I'm, it, it's fine I've got an issue with it and I think it's beneficial for a lot of, of individuals because it helps people become more aware mm. to take time off and, and, and like I said process things reflect on things listen to themselves because we don't listen to ourselves to what we need and we can't mm. give ourselves what we need yeah, um, yeah. again it's one of those which things are, are quite simple because really all you have to do is understand how you're feeling, listen to yourself and do that. But the difficulty is actually how, how do you listen to yourself? How do you know what you need? Yeah, I think it's trust. It's, it's tr trusting your intuition and because we've been trained in a certain thought process and that's, you know, that's the issue, thought process. Whereas intuition is, is that feeling and trusting that feeling and doing what that feeling says to you. Mm. So it's sort of a different way of working and I'm I'm hoping with you know these kind of initiatives and podcasts and conversations with people like yourself that people actually start listening to themselves, 
yeah. and you know after listening to these um words they do switch off and start switching off essentially <laughs> yeah but like, not, not switch off right you know finish the podcast and then switch off <laughs> <laughs> and then switch off well guys bit before you switch off um uh because we're coming towards the end of our lovely short conversation you know we definitely need to do this again kevin um how can people get get hold of you uh, get hold of your work the stuff that you're doing what's the best way well i'm on uh, i'm on twitter so if you want to look me up as kevin t o r h uh if not you know google me you come across my my work page and i'm happy to keep in contact with different individuals drop me an email find out about the research that we do and uh, if you've got any questions yeah do get in touch great well thank you so much kevin it's been a great pleasure Super. Thank you for having me on. You have a good day. Thanks, you too. Thanks for listening to this installment of the Surgical Spirit podcast. For all the latest in the world of Surgical Spirit, don't forget to follow on Twitter at The Third Eye Doc and catch me on Facebook at the page The Third Eye Doctor. You can visit the website at www.thethirdeyedoctor.co.uk for more information on the work that I do. And please send us feedback and questions and suggestions for the podcast. It's always a pleasure to hear from you. I've been Dr. Haider Al-Hakim, and I'll see you next time.